us have been at point in our lives. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still asking myself that. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, or there's a follow-up question that's that's oftentimes asked as well. Maybe not in the same conversation, but but who do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, the answers to those questions can be rather revealing when you, when you face them honestly. And I'm going to particularly talk about the, the second one. Who do you want to be when you, when you grow up? The answers to that can be revealing not just to ourselves, but to, of course, to the person that might be uh, asking the question and those listening in. Who do we want to be? It's, it's worth thinking about, worth reflecting on, because we, we tend to fix our eyes on those that we admire. Maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously. Uh, we, we set our gaze upon them. We, we might even set to, to pace ourselves, to imitate them over the course of our, our, our lives. Um, I will tell you as a kid, I wanted to be Han Solo. Um, didn't work out. Just as good though I didn't want to be Chewbacca. But anyway, um, it, the point being that we, we, all, we all do this. There's no exception. We all have this, this thing hardwired into us to... to Fix our eyes on on someone, so on some someone we admire, on some someone that we that we look to, that we look up to. Uh, it's not a matter of of if we're doing this; it's just a matter of how and who. So, with that in mind, the question then becomes: Who is it? Who is it for you even now? Who is it for you even this morning? Who are the models? Uh, the the guides in your life, the examples that you look to, or if I can put it this way, who are we imitating? Who are we following and following after? If you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to finish up this chapter, not the study. This puts it us about halfway uh, in the course of the study, but um, in Philippians chapter 2, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul written from jail in Rome or imprisoned in Rome under house arrest uh, to a church in Philippi, um, a church that he had planted just a few years prior under dire circumstances to say the least when you go back and read Acts 16. If you're trying to find Philippians, by the way, it's after the Gospels and Acts and Romans and the Corinthian letters and Galatians, and Ephesians... Philippians, okay? So Philippians 2, we're going to start in verse 19. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and as I said, we're going to go to the end of the chapter, verse 30. So Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Hear now God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray together. Or as the prophet says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And there is so much in our lives that fades and dries up and blows away. Things that even seem to have a, a sense of a permanence and long-lastingness to them. We know that really it is only you, it is only you that is eternal. Uh, we uh, ask that you would help us listen now, to build as, as you have told us, to, to not build as the foolish man upon the sand, but to build as the wise man upon the rock, uh, to be wise indeed as we reflect on our own lives and our own days, our priorities, um, who it is and how it is that we are setting our gaze upon and patterning our lives after. Lord, you, you mean for us to have clarity there, and we pray that you'd give it to us. And, and to do so out of the right motives, uh, chasing after you, a longing for you, a thanks and gratitude. Uh, and wonder at all you've done for us. And we pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the end of a school year, and uh, that's, of course, a time to reflect back over if you're a student, or even if you're not a student. You see the bus is no longer moving. It kind of makes you, oh, I remember what that was like. Um, and you reflect, reflect back on, on that, that time period. And, and that, for me, can cause me to think back on the teacher, maybe, that I would have had that year, or... Now that I'm out of that phase, think back on all the teachers, maybe, that I've had. So, you know, what makes for a good teacher? What, what are the marks of a good teacher? Well, certainly one would be the ability to make complex concepts and ideas simple and understandable. You've probably heard it said so that's oftentimes the mark of, of, of genius, really, is being able to take high, high ideas and bring them down to a place where people can, can understand them. So I think that's certainly one mark of, of a good teacher. But another would be this, and that is a willingness not just to tell, but to show. To come alongside, to, to illustrate Maybe even to go so far as to really take the time, do life on life, and lay themselves out with a willingness to be the illustration, to be the, the living parable, to be the living illustration so that we'll get it, so that we'll understand. Um, certainly that is a, a mark as well. And God knows this. God knows. God knows we need such life on life kind of, of living examples in our lives uh, that we might... Grow, And it's not just in the field of formal education in the classroom, but we're talking about spiritual formation and the spiritual life and the, and the growth and flourishing of, of faith as well. God knows us. He knows that we need this. He made us with this all in mind. 
Now, you might be thinking, though, at this point, if, if, you, if I was to pause long enough, but I'm, I can't because I'm looking at my watch, but if I was to pause long enough and gave you the chance to really think about this, you'd, the thought might come to your mind, well, wait a minute, but we don't really have that, do we? I mean, we, we don't really have the kind of life-on-life -life experience like the first disciples did. I mean, they had the advantage of, of rubbing shoulders with Jesus and seeing how he would respond to to this and to this and to this and to this and, and, and what that would look like. We don't really have that kind of experience, do we? Well, no. No, we don't. Not like that. But just because our experience isn't quite like that doesn't mean we don't have that at all. Park that. Let me explain. Let me... Back up. I'll come back to that in just a second. Okay. This this letter again. We know it's the, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, this church in the city of Philippi, just reminding you where we are in the flow of Paul's thought. Okay. So earlier in chapter one, he said, "I'm I'm pleading with you that no matter how things turn out for me, again, he's he's imprisoned, he's awaiting his his trial, he doesn't know what the, how the verdict's going to come out." Um, he's alluded to that. He's saying, however things go with me, you need to be living out the gospel by living as one. Lives you know, corporately together of unity, fueled, impelled, enabled by a heart of humility. And then remember, he then, if you will, cites, but it crassly, cites Jesus as this great example, par excellence of this humility, right? That's the Christ hymn. We talked about that. Last week, well then, two weeks ago, then last week, he says, not just are you to live it out, I want you to work it out, I want you to work out your salvation, put it into practice, flesh it out, work it out. And now this time, in this, this morning's text, we see he gives us yet more examples. Not directly of, of Jesus, but I would say indirectly, indirectly to help us flesh this out, because just putting it this way, God, God loves us so. He, he gives us these living examples of the Christian life because He loves us. He, he loves us so that He gives us these living examples for the Christian life. He knows we need this. He wants us to flourish. He wants to help us. So He gives us these examples to show us what it looks like. Show us what it looks like. Which means we then, we've got to look at them. We've got to look towards them. And perhaps even... I'll be willing to pattern our own lives after them. There are three examples in our text, three living examples that we can see just in this case study that God gave to the church of Philippi in His grace and His love to show them, to show them what the Christian life looks like. These three, Timothy, Epaphroditus, explicitly, implicitly, Paul. Talk about these in turn. So Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul. Let's look at these in turn. Timothy. Uh, that's certainly the first of the examples. You see that. See him in verses 19 through 24. We know that Christian life entails, if you know anything about the Bible, you know it entails selflessness, sacrificial living. Great. What does it look like? Show me. Don't just tell me. Show me. All right, let's look at Timothy. Let's look at Paul's young protege that he's setting forward before these people and actually sending eventually to them so that they can actually see him and rub shoulders with him. 
Let's look at verses 19 through 24 again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. All right, so Timothy, among many other things we know, if you go and read some of the other letters and and Acts as well, Paul is describing him here as a young man of, with genuine concern for these folks. Like Paul, he is literally, the word is actually anxious, anxious for their well-being. Now that word, I won't go too far into this, but depending on the context, if it's put in a positive context, it can mean I'm concerned for you. If it's put in a negative context, it's what we think of as worry and fretting. But it's that sort of intensity um, so my, 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 I long for you and, and your well-being. And, and you see something out of that here. And Timothy is genuinely, it's not feigned, it's not faked, it's something about, and as such, he stands out. Paul describes him this way. He stands out among all the others. Timothy's commitment to Christ is such that it, it overflows in love and concern and care. For others, and most especially in this case, for this church way back in the city of Philippi. Now, what's going on there? How, why, why was this the case? How, how do you explain this? Well, two ways. First is, Paul describes their relationship. He's like a son to me. He, he's, he's like um, my alter ego. These men have had such shared history, such shared experiences. They've done life together, and it's Paul has rubbed off on Timothy. He's concerned for these people. So too is his younger partner in, in the ministry. But that's not all that we see here. Um, again, if you know anything about Timothy, especially when you go and start reading 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, those, those letters that Paul writes later, uh, we see that, that this doesn't come naturally to him. This, this sort of... Um, selflessness. Now I say that because, think with me, because Timothy, like many of us, is naturally a fearful, timid fellow. Now what does fear and timidity do to you when it comes to your relationship with other people? It makes you batten down the hatches. It makes you close yourself off from other people. It makes you play it safe. Withdraw. Not extend. So you see, this this kind of selflessness and concern didn't come naturally to Timothy. Fear came naturally to, to, to Timothy. Timidity came naturally to Timothy. This is a work of grace. Selflessness and concern overflowing through Timothy to these people is a work of God's grace in his life. He is coming slowly but surely more and more like, like he intends for all of us, the Lord intends for all of us, to see Jesus as the champion over all his fears, as the risen, ruling king that therein frees us, as it did with Timothy, to extend himself, to entrust whatever it was, whatever it may be for us, to the Lord, whatever would make us fearful or anxious, entrust that to him, leave it with him, and move out. Move out. Forward. The point being, God 
Okay, back to Timothy and why he's cited here. God delights, God delights to give us these living examples. Tell me what the concern looks like. Tell me, show me what the selflessness looks like. God gives us men like Timothy. So in terms of application, just thinking about this, two quick points. Um, first, it would seem then that it would make sense for us to identify the areas of fear in our own lives. Um, the areas in, in our lives where, where we're anxious and, and worried and, and slow to extend ourselves because of the fear, to identify those and entrust those things uh, to the Lord and ask Him to help us do that. And so then they're free us to be selfless and concerned towards others. So that would be the first thing, just regarding ourselves. The second thing would be this, and that is, again, God is giving us these living examples, like a Timothy, of, of concern and selflessness. Well, He means for us then to, to latch on to that, to see that, to identify who are the living, such living examples today in our lives? Who are the Timothys that we can see around us that he has given to us? Living examples of such concern and selflessness. Identify them. Follow their lead. Follow, identify and follow their lead. He gives us, the Lord gives us in his love and his concern for us, living examples of such selflessness and concern. We can and must then be looking to them. That's point one. Point two. All right, so Epaphroditus. This is our second living example that we have here. Epaphroditus. You know, it's interesting. This is the uh, this paragraph and one other citation later in the book of Philippians. It's the only bit that we have on this man, but it's quite interesting what we do have, though it's just this little bit. Um, all right, so we all, if you, again, if you know anything about Christianity, you know anything about the Christian life, you know that suffering is a part of it. Show me. Don't just tell me. Show me. I need to see what that looks like. So Paul cites Epaphroditus, and in fact he doesn't just cite him, but he's going to send him to these people so that they can see this played out. Now, what do we know about this guy? Um, we know that he has this near-death experience. Now, we're not quite sure of all the, the circumstances and everything. Uh, we, we know that he had been sent by, the, you know, just reading between the lines, he had been sent by the church at Philippi to Paul there in Rome to assist him to deliver a gift that Paul's going to speak of later. Um, apparently, likely it seems that perhaps he fell ill on the way, came down with something, pushed himself so hard to make it to Rome to assist Paul, he nearly died of the illness in the process, but so given was he to the cause of the gospel, he felt himself unable to do anything less. All right, so he risked it all. Oh, one other thing we know about him, this is kind of an important point, his devotion to those people who sent him. Notice what you read there in verses 25 through 30. Oh, wait, we haven't read it. Well, we did, but I'm going to read it again so it's fresh in our mind. So let me, let me read this and pick up on this as I'm reading again. The distress. What is causing Epaphroditus' distress? What's really causing his heart's distress? I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, 
and your messenger and minister to my need, for he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking your service to me. Okay, so what caused Epaphroditus his great distress? It was not his illness. It was not the illness in and of itself. It was the fact that his dear friends back in Philippi who had sent him, his home church, apparently, what caused him distress was not his illness, but was the fact that he knew they knew of his illness and they were distressed about that for him. That's what caused his distress. Their distress. You see, the man's willing to suffer. He was willing to endure whatever the, the cause of Christ following after him entailed. But it pained him, pained him to see others going through pain on his behalf. Now, what's going on with that? How do you explain that? Well, I think we get some clues just in how Paul describes the man. Uh, verse 25, he describes him as being his own, Paul, spiritually speaking, his brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, there, as the Philippian church, their messenger and minister to his, his needs. So, so clearly Epaphroditus knows something of the strenuous nature of following Christ, and so that dictated, it affected, informed how he served. It's not just that. It's not just what he knew. There's something deeper going on here, and that is who he's serving. And you get a clue into that in verse 30, where you see Paul describing what Epaphroditus is about, the work of Christ. He nearly died for the work of Christ. He did not nearly die for the work of the Philippian church. He did not nearly die for the work of Paul. He nearly died for the work of Jesus. That's who he's committed to. And that's who he's willing to suffer for. Again, God delights to give us such living examples like an Epaphroditus to show us something as to what such a life, even suffering, might look like. So again, I, I think we need to, okay, application, just thinking about this, two quick points. Asking ourselves this question, what in my life, in your life, in our lives, what are the barriers to being willing to suffer in that way? Where are we unwilling to risk everything? Where are we willing, unwilling, in what way, should I say, in what ways are we unwilling to risk our health, to risk our safety, to risk our fortune, our reputation, our name, our comfort, our ease, You've heard me quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer no few times on this line in his wonderful book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ bids a man come and follow, he bids him come and die. We Americans think he means come and take a nap. 
come and have it easy. It's not what he says. What would it mean to die? What would it mean for you and I to die? To die for him. To suffer for him. So that would be the first point. What's getting in the way of that? What do we love too much? More than him. It stands as, as an obstruction here. The second thing is this, and it's similar to what I said in the last point, and that is as we think in terms of, okay, the Lord, he gives us these living examples of like an Epaphroditus putting the, such men and women in our lives. Okay, who are they? Who has he put in my life that I know by name or at least by face who knows something of what it is to die to self, live for him, be willing, no proverbial hell or high water, be willing to suffer and lay it down for him. Who are they? And what can I learn from them? Identify them and imitate them. That's partly why God has put them in your life. He loves you so. He knows we, not, we need not just be told but shown. Who are they? Who are they? Third point, uh, and this is Paul. This would be uh, obviously implicit in the points, not explicit, because Paul's not citing himself here. Um, he's citing these two other men. But when you take a step back and think about it for a minute, it's pretty clear that Paul is an example of something as well. Now, if, if Timothy is an example, a living example, of, of concern and selflessness... And Epaphroditus is a living example of, of suffering. It seems, in this passage at least, we could certainly say that Paul is a living example of submitting ourselves, of yielding ourselves to God and his purposes in our lives. Now think with me, what, what do we see here? I'm not going to read the text again. I'm just kind of picking, looking at the, at the whole of verses 19 through 30 at this point. What does that look like? What does it look like to live such a, a, a life? Well, Paul, from what he can tell, now we know later, actually, he does live a little bit longer, but even at this point, he's had a long and storied career, ministry, serving Jesus. Now he finds himself imprisoned, destination Rome, awaiting trial, unsure of the verdict, and how soon the blade will come down on his head. He is comforted now in this setting, at this moment, with the presence of these two men in his lives, their service, their company, Timothy, Epaphroditus. You don't think it meant a lot to him to have them with him in a setting like that. Think again, how does he describe Timothy? As like a son. How is he described Epaphroditus? My brother, my fellow soldier, worker, your minister, your messenger. All these things. So these men are dear to him. Do you not think it would have been hard to let them go? Don't you think at this point he, would have, he could have been, I don't want to say justified, but we would, we would have understood. We would have understood if he had said, just sent them a short note instead of the book of Philippians. Just sent them a short note. Sorry, I need them more than you do. But that's not what we see here. 
He loved them enough to send them the very best. Not Jethro from Crete. Not Billy Bob from, I don't know, Antioch. But Timothy, his beloved Timothy, and Epaphroditus, his beloved Epaphroditus. And why? Because he is submitting his desires to their needs. And tr knowing, knowing that, okay, he's acknowledging that <laughs> I, I know what I want, but I am going to yield that and trusting myself, my desires, my felt needs to you, Lord, to take care of them as I give these men over to the Philippians. Do we not need to learn to do that? To entrust our desires to Him. Submitting of the desires, submitting really to the Lord chiefly is what's really going on here at rock bottom. And you can see this, it's implied even in His language. It's not explicit, but it's implied. Verse 19, He speaks of hoping in the Lord Jesus. Verse uh, uh, 24, He speaks of Trusting in the Lord regarding his, his plans. He's living, Paul is living out of Christ's sovereignty over all things in a moment-by-moment -moment practical way. He is living out of Christ's sovereignty over all things, including his imprisonment, which then frees him to do this and even write of joy in the midst of it all. Again, God, back to, okay, what do we have here? What do we have, in terms of a model, in terms of an example, Paul, with Paul we see God delighting in us such that he is giving us these living examples, even this one here of submission. So again, two quick points regarding application. Um, ourselves, learning, longing to what it means to, to submit, our, submit our lives, submit our desires, our lives to, to the Lord. That we alluded to this last week. That, that is not passivity or laziness or que-sera-sera. You rightly understand what it is to entrust yourself to the, to the sovereign Lord and His plans and purposes for your life. It should make you bold. It should energize you. It should make you one who makes plans with brashness, but with an eraser. <laughs> Holding to those plans loosely that we make. That would be the first thing. The second thing, and again, like I've said with the last two points, who has the Lord put around you? If He, is, if he loves us such, that he, and he knows us such that he knows we, we need these living examples, not just that we would be told, but shown. And he puts people in our lives, models of selflessness and suffering and submission. Who has he put in your life that could serve in that way? And what can you learn from them? What can you learn from them? He loves you enough to have done that for you. What can you learn from them? Okay, wrapping it up. As we look at these men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul, we can learn much of the Christian life. We can also learn much of Jesus, who is the one that is doing the work in their lives. Right? 
So it's not just, think with me, it's not just we're learning much about the Christian life. We're learning much about the one who has, is, has made them and is making them this way. Now take a step back. Think with me just for a moment. We, we can know much about an artist through their work, right? Um, what, whatever the medium is, whether it's, it's a canvas or sculpture or literature or music, you can know so much, so much about an artist through the fruit of their work. I think we're going to go on a, on, a, on a tour through an art gallery, right? You're going to see this exhibit and this exhibit, and, and each one is cordoned off according to the artist. And so each gallery, each, each exhibit looks so different because each artist is, is different. Their, the culture and the worldview from which they came is unique. Their personality and experiences are unique. And so what they produce then is Unique. You can know something. You can know something of an artist by their work. Well, think about that. that. Apply that to these three men. What do we learn about the artist through these men, through what he has done? It's, it's, if I can shift the metaphor, it's, they're like mirrors. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul. They're like mirrors reflecting something of the glory of their Savior of the one who is renewing their lives and doing this work within them. Now, let me take you back um, to verses 5 through 8 of Philippians 2, that Christ hymn, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So think with me. Ultimately, what you see with Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul is the selflessness of Jesus. Jesus giving up his divine rights and privileges. You see, behind these three men, the suffering of Jesus in his life, in his death. You see the submission of Jesus, yielding himself to his Father's purposes. And he's done all this. That's what this table is about. He's doing all that for us. All of that for us. And at the same time, in his love for us, longing to bring those things about in us, shaping us, renewing us, and that's grace. That's, part, that's His grace to us as well. well. Let's pray for a minute, and then we'll go to the table. Lord, thank You. Thank You that indeed You are not silent, and You are not still. You are at work. And indeed, we know that part of Your work in our lives is bringing others into our lives to show us what the Gospel looks like, what it means to, to follow You. Such is your love for us, that you would have such purposes for us, and the, the wonder is that you would do it through even such means as each other. We pray that you'd help us to be such means for each other, to be such living examples for one another, at the same time to look and to see where you are providing such examples for us, that we would grow. And behind all of that, to see you, to see you at work and to give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.